Welcome to Black, Brown, and Bilingue, where our mission is to unite the black and brown communities through education, storytelling, and community engagement. another episode. Uh, we are here in season two and um, we have uh, just a, a guest of honor with us today. Uh, today we have uh, Mr. David Muhammad. Uh, he is an educator uh, from out of Kansas City. Um, not only an educator but also a musician, um, a hip-hop artist, um, and uh, the way we actually came to know him is through uh, some work that he did on his classroom and some conversation with his students surrounding uh, the Confederate flag and its significance um, in, in modern America. And so we wanna welcome him in today. Thank you, David, so much for joining us. And we look forward to learning more about you today. Yeah, I appreciate the invite, glad to be here. So David, can you, um, uh, again, we, we mentioned it. And, and in fact, we've had a whole episode in season one on hip hop. Um, we're both huge hip hop fans. Um, um, where did your passion for hip hop come from? Where did, where did it all start for you? Yeah, I mean, it was very organic, you know, um, it was the, the music of the community I was in. I mean, and I grew up honestly as one of the only in my neighborhood. I mean, I grew up in a predominantly white, um, schools from third grade up. And, um, so then when I, I gravitated naturally towards the other black and brown faces that I would see. And that was the music of their, of, of the, of the community. Um, and in a home, you know, it was a lot of soul music and, and things of that nature. But like, I think from there, I always was, I just had a lens towards like the more what people may call conscious hip hop music that just seemed to fit my personality more. You know, I think music is a feeling and it's an emotion. And so the emotions that came through that lane of hip hop is what I was really just gravitating towards as a light-skinned black kid in the burbs, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, um, I mean, I, I played the violin, I, I sang in choir, I did other things. So I was always very musical, but hip hop just, it, it gave me the, the, the outlet for the emotion that other music didn't. And so, um, yeah, that's just what, what it's always been. And, I mean, you know how it is. You're trying to rap at the lunch table with your homies and at the, you know, out out in the recess when Bone Dugs and Harmony Crossroads, we was trying to rap it. We didn't know what we were saying. Yeah. You just made the sounds, you know. I was like, well, if I go fast enough, people gonna think I know it, you know. So that was the vibes, you know what I mean? And making burning CDs and making cassettes and just, yeah, that was that was the energy. When did you realize that you had bars? <laughs> like what, yeah, what uh, a moment that you can point to or like hey I can do this I would say high school um like I always wrote and messed around and stuff but like I was very poetic kid like I, I love poetry and, and that kind of vibe and so I think that with the fact that like being honest like I was well educated 
you know, like my parents put me in good schools, you know, they read to me as a kid, like I had a good education. My father was very much, uh, you know, he, he was in the nation of Islam and then he converted to Orthodox Islam and was a, 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 a preacher in our mosque. And so I just came up with a lot of like words and content to take, you know, and to use. And so um, there was like a talent show um, in, in high school and some friends were gonna like break dance and do some other stuff. And I just wrote a verse, you know, it was actually inspired by Big L, late Big L and um, like people were like, oh, that's, that's dope, you know? And so when you <laughs> hear other people say you're nice, like that's like the motivation. Um, I look back and the verse was probably whack as, <laughs> you know, whack <laughs> as hell, but like in that little setting, like they thought I was good and that motivates you. And, you know, then in college I did a lot of spoken word but my spoken word was really like my raps because I had, um. I, was, I didn't have anywhere to record. I didn't really have those kind of connects. And I was watching deaf poetry a lot, which most mm -hmm. deaf used to host on HBO. And mm -hmm. he would have like rappers on there. He had Kanye West. Kanye West, I remember yeah, that. And I was like, yo, like, I didn't, that was before Kanye was like Kanye, you know? But like, he would always have like a rapper on there who would essentially spit a verse, but in poetic form. And I was like, I can do that. And it just, you know, so then when I got on Spoken Words Day, just people were like, oh, you're very you're nice, you know, and, you know, and it's deep. So that's just kind of where it just kind of kept going. Yeah, I got to say, you know, David, I, I definitely relate to that idea growing up out in the burbs, um, you know, my hometown um, uh, before doing some redistricting, you had schools that were, you know, 95% white and other schools that were, you know, 40% African-American. And so I remember actually making that transition from the side of town where I was going to school with mostly white kids to the side of town where I was going to school with a lot more uh, black and brown students. And like, I had culture shock. I was like, hold on, what's, you know, what's going on, you know? Yeah. But, but I think that that hip hop, that music piece was one of the ways that that connection um, uh, happened, right? That, because my older brother was listening to the same music that their older siblings were listening to. And so I could jump right in and, you know, meet you at the crossroads, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, that's uh, real. So I think that's definitely, um, definitely uh, impactful. I'm wondering, you know, as, a, as an educator as well, do, do, you, do you connect hip hop into education? Is that something, you know, are your students aware that, 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 that you can spit? Um, and, and I ask because, you know, I, as I mentioned, you know, before we started um, this episode, I, I write, I tend to write for fun. I kind of write, you know, PBIS songs and, and things like that. And I think, honestly, I write for fun because I'm scared to put real effort into it and have somebody say it's not good, you know? So, but anyways, that's-, like that's me, I'll always humble you real quick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. I'm not worried about the haters though, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, David, tell, tell me, you know, how does how do how does that work as, as a hip hop artist crossover into your work as an educator? Yeah, um, you know, for me, um, my students. So the school I taught at mostly before I left was a um, predominantly a white um, high school in a very affluent part of town, and um, yeah, and um, the kids there I think were first just excited to have a black teacher. Like I was the only black teacher in the school, let alone the only Muslim teacher in the school, you know? And so 
at that point when I first started teaching, I rap like I wrote stuff and I would do like first day of this year raps, end of the year raps. And they would always be like, oh, you know. And then um, I had a student group that I was a sponsor of, which was like a student humanitarian group. We always do a benefit concert where like student bands would come out and I would get up there and like spit a verse or something like that just to like have fun. But like you, like I never really took it, took it serious until I heard um, the Roots album Undone. And so Undone, for whatever reason, just sparked my creative like, like I, I was like, oh my God, this concept album. And then right after that, um, Tapimba Butterfly came out and I was like, okay, before I leave this world, I wanna put out a serious project. Like I actually wanna do this. And my students were a motivation for me, you know, because I looked at them and I was like, okay, of course they had affluence, but like they weren't afraid to say yes to trying new things. So like you'd have a varsity football player be in a play and he also played the guitar and sang and put out a CD and stuff and put it on Spotify. And I'm like, dang, like when I was 17, 18, I was like too afraid to let my black friends know I play the violin, you know, and like regret it not going further with that kind of stuff or like regret it not doing a play just for the heck of it, you know? And, and so um, when I started to take it more serious, I, I kind of was like, okay, well, I'm going to use this community. And so on my first album, I had features from students. Like there were like on the opening song, there was a girl, two girls who sang on it. And um, that's dope. One, of the, one of the guys in my class played guitar on a song for me. And, um, and then like the next year I put out like a series of tracks called the, um, I call it the, I think I called it the, yeah, the school days project, um, like a play on the, the movie school days. And um, it was like, each track had a feature with a kid who I was like, okay, you say you can rap, you say you can spit, I'm gonna give you a chance that we're gonna be on the track together, you know? And, um, and so I did that. So yeah, they always knew I could rap. And um, I would, I had like artwork that was made by like, cover art was always made by students and stuff like that. So I always leaned in on students and it was a great place to also get like, is this dope or not? Like based on they're in the culture, like even though it was a lot of white kids, like they're still the ones, they're the ones buying the tickets going to the consumers. Yeah. They're the consumers for sure. And, um, and so I would be like, yo, how, how does this sound? And, and um, even since I've left that class and school and I'm at a different school now, like when I put out a music video, these kids was like, whoa, like, you know, and so um, it was always something that I, I used them as like a sounding board um, and as inspiration, to be honest, like just to kind of like, you only have so much time on this earth, right? So like, I may not ever like reach the status of a black thought and have my album heard by millions, but like, I want to have something that can be there, you know, legitimately. And, and that's what's inspired me to continue making, making projects. That is so inspirational. So you talked about you were the only in, in this school. Maurice and I have been in situations where we were the only, and, and we know a lot of the, the feelings and the emotions that, that can come out of that. Um, what were the parents' responses to you? Do, and can you speak to not only, because you're a black man, but you're also Muslim, and you're also infusing hip hop into your, your education. Um, so what was parents' response to that? <laughs> I think they were confused. Um, <laughs> You know, it's it, y'all saying get out, right? Mm-hmm. And that vibe of like at the um, like the the lunch lawn party or whatever, where he feels like everybody's watching him and he's like this spectacle. Sometimes it felt like that to be real. You know, like I always felt like I was being watched. Um, 
again, it was a very affluent neighborhood. And I felt like I was like this uh, for some parents. Um, I was like this thing they could hold up as like, look at, look at this guy. Exceptionalism. Yeah, he's unique, you know, like let's invite him to um, this fundraiser, you know, or like when it was a graduation party for a student and I would get invited, you know, and it was like, this is Mr. Muhammad, their favorite teacher, you know, and, or like they would reach out to me with like, and they still do with like really deep questions. Like when all the like George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, what are your thoughts? You know, yes. I was, and I'm not even teaching there anymore, but like, I was like, I became a go-to face <clears throat> and voice for them. Mm. And sometimes that put pressure on me to feel like, yo, like, what do you want from me here? Like, what is this for? Where are you going with this? Especially when you see like the dynamic of a household where, and I'm gonna just call it out, you know, where in many cases, the wife was very much leaning in more on the liberal, trying to stay woke, at least performatively. Mm. And the father was like, yeah, you can go do that, but I'm still voting this way. <laughs> you know, this is where the money's right. coming from. You know, and so the, the dads kind of just watched me from afar, you know, and um, I, I think there was sometimes pushback, like, because I would bring up certain things, you know, I, I became involved in like our first diversity and inclusion committee at the school. And so there was always like sometimes pushback, like, where are you trying to take our community? Um, and then when I saw like who was involved from the parent community in our diversity and equity committee, it was always the moms. It was always the white moms. It was never the fathers, mm -hmm. right? And so like, it was this dynamic of, was that their escape to like, delve into that world but when they went home it was like that's not the reality um you know we had a a march in in the city in the city where the school was at which is like unheard of they had a march for black lives matter the majority of the people you saw out other than students were white mothers you know and so it's just like this dynamic of 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 like only being able to go so far with how how much they're going to be involved. And so because of that, I, I never quite knew how honest it really was. And I knew I was one mistake away from it completely going the other way. And mm -hmm. so that pressure um, that we all face as people of color in every space where you truly don't feel like you can be your authentic self, you know, um, even amongst colleagues, like I got along with with many of them, but it was like to a certain extent, like I, I didn't feel like I could like really let my guard down or just be, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and that that's exhausting. That's it. That's an exhausting way to live. When everywhere you go, you're super conscious of how you're being seen, and how and, and how that contradicts what you see. Um, and, and so it's, I mean, that's the WB Du Bois calls it the double consciousness. I feel like I have a triple consciousness as a black well, Muslim American. And it's just the way that it is, sadly. But that's that's what I definitely felt teaching in a school like that. Wow. You, yeah, you hit on so many topics. Like I, me and Maurice, we often talk about, there's almost this awe when people meet him. Like they're almost like, wow, they feel good about themselves. This is mm -hmm. like white people they feel good about themselves for liking Maurice. Right. It's not so much like, 
are you for the cause really? Or is this for you yourself to say, look, I'm not racist. I love Maurice. And, yeah. you know, that, that notion of exceptionalism, that's very real. And, and it so takes away from, yeah, it takes away from who Maurice is, right? Because exactly. it becomes less about who he is and who he's worked himself to be and more about how they can compliment themselves and applaud themselves for being so woke yes. and so down, you know, yes. it's like, well, I'm the, I'm the one, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. I, it's funny you say that. I, I literally just had a conversation yesterday um, and uh, Illinois has recently passed um, culturally responsive teaching and leading standards. And um, I was talking with a colleague about those and, and, um, and again, she, she was sharing with me how upset she was because her family pastor at church had, had um, asked the church to pray that the state not pass these standards. And she was expressing how upset she was. Um, and when she talked to this pastor, the pastor hadn't even read the standards, had just read on some conservative um, you know, blog post mm -hmm. that they were bad and so had made this statement. And as she was talking about how upset she was, um, as a white woman, I sat there and I thought to myself, how often I've been a shoulder for some person to cry on because they're so upset about racism. <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, oh, you're upset. Making it about them. <laughs> yes, making it about them. And I don't think she meant that. I, I think she was being sincere, but it was just something that did cross my mind um, uh, as, as I thought about that. So I, I appreciate that. No, you know, what's, what's interesting is like one, and I want to, you know, if any of them listen to this, like, I know that those moms were sincere, like you were talking about, like they had good hearts. The question is like, to what extent are they willing to go to become uncomfortable? Because like that woman that you're talking about, is she going to leave the church, right? Like, is she going to, are you so upset about it that you're going to take your money and your time away from that community and go somewhere else where it could be better served? Right. And many of them are not willing to get that uncomfortable. So they're willing to do it in moments. Right. They're willing to go to the march or the rally because whatever reason. But are they willing to leave their jobs or challenge their spouses or challenge their country club communities, you know, and say, you know what, I'm not going to associate with you guys anymore if this is how you move in the world. And, and, and a lot of times they're not willing to go that far. So they want to do just enough for the post or they want to do just enough to kind of like escape. And then they have, they know they go back into that world. And I'm not saying they need to divorce their husbands or whatever, but like there has to be some kind of disruption or it's all just performative. And yeah. if you're not willing to disrupt, then what are you coming to me for? You know? Yeah. You know, it was interesting. She did say, um, she mentioned, she said, you know, I'm not, I'm not at a place yet where I feel like I need to leave because I'm seeing the changes happen. Mm. That pastor had emailed her back a few days later and was like, Hey, I read them. I'm sorry. I'm so glad you challenged me on this because mm. otherwise I would not have, you know, done my homework. That really was necessary. That's great. That's so great. I think um, I was in, I was definitely impressed by that because she she did go through the discomfort. You know, most people don't like confrontation, right? But she I, was willing to to confront somebody and say, no, what you just said and did was was wrong. So absolutely. you know, I think part of what we're talking about here um, is really that that discipline, right? To to um, that you have to have that discipline if you're going to be a part of, of, of this walk, a part of this journey towards social justice, towards equity, um, and uh, not allow it to just be that hashtag. 
because I man, it, it was trending. You know, when you look at last spring and summer, that was a trendy thing to do. Hey, I'm here. You know, you know, they posting, um, uh, uh, you know, TikToks and and Snapchats from from the the, the March talking about I'm I'm here. But is it trendy or is it work? Um, right. You know, so I bring up the discipline piece because we in our research, you know, David, we found out that you also are are a um, a karate. Uh, student is that is that correct i'm an instructor yeah um and a instructor okay yeah. and a student um so i'm now, now i'm i'm listening to you david and i'm like well, he's a violinist he's he's <laughs> not singing anymore. Choir. He, he's a hip-hop artist he's an educator he's an instructor in 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 the realm of karate talk to me about i mean how, how do all these things mix mainly you know what karate and hip-hop do, do you see a connection there is, is oh, for, yeah. for you what was that connection well first i you know martial arts for me is like at the root of everything my father's a martial arts instructor so i grew up um i started taking classes formally at the age of three in my dad's dojo and so that's what sparked my desire to teach martial arts because you know both my father and mother were always like what can we do for the community so my father started teaching martial arts um in the in the mosque for free initially. And then he started charging like $15 a month. When I was a kid, I think tuition was like $35 a month. It was always in the urban core. Um, we had kids who came in from families who, you know, were like, we, we don't have any money. So we help them out. They couldn't get karate uniforms. We, we find out a way to help them out. My mom would help pay kids to tournament fees, you know? So I saw that juxtaposition from like, by that point we had moved to the suburbs. So we would drive down here to this community, you know, where, you know, our dojo was, and then I would go back. And so I saw like immediately, I'm privileged in many ways, right? I got both parents in the home and the art for me, the martial arts was always my, my realm of, of outlet, of emotion. At the age of nine, my dad started having me help teach martial arts. And so I would teach kids and adults. And that's what sparked me to go into the classroom. And so, you know, as I got older, I knew I wanted to keep the martial arts tradition going for my family. And so I felt like studying education was gonna be a way to make me a better martial arts instructor. And so that's why I did that. And so to this day, me and my father, we run a martial arts school. I do that full time in the evenings, I teach martial arts. Um, but with hip hop, I mean, I think martial arts is extremely connected. You look at groups like Wu-Tang, you know what I'm saying? And even like Kung Fu Kenny, Kendrick Lamar, you know, like there's always been this, this vibe of the, other world realm skill set, you know, fighting off um, oppression and whatever may have you. And I think like when you look in black and brown communities, you had Saturday afternoon Kung Fu theater and you had Bruce Lee. And, and I think just there's something about trying to be a badass, you know, that you see in the martial arts movies that it aligns with hip hop, right? Because, you know, hip hop is like, okay, I come from nothing or I don't have this or that, but I can kill you with these words. Right. And so I'm going to verbally assault you. Right. And that's where the battle comes from. I think the martial arts is like the physical manifestation of what a lot of guys wanted to feel as, as hip hop artists. And so if you look at a lot of your favorite hip hop artists, they are very connected with martial arts. Um, there's just something about the, the vibe of the two. And for me, as a, you know, I've competed, I, I teach, I, I train. Hip hop is what I use to get myself in the vibe. So when I'm working out, I'm, I'm using hip hop. You know, when I'm warming up for a competition, I'm using hip hop. Um, and when I'm making my hip hop tracks, you know, a lot of times I, 
go into the same mindset that I get to when I'm about to have like a fight, like when I'm about to compete, I get into the same like, all right, you know, where am I psychologically? Um, and so, I mean, actually it's a project I'm working on right now, which is gonna be based on like a variety of eighties martial arts movies. Uh, the only real, real heads would know. So we'll see what, what people think of it. That's awesome. You know, when you said hip hop and, and martial arts, I love Martin and I thought of Dragonfly Jones. Do you know? Do you know? Yes. yes. 100%. Um, and 100%. yeah, I've seen that overlap too. Um, now, where, where are you teaching now? Are you in a different community? Is it more diverse? Like, can you talk? And, and, and what propelled you to, to leave the school that you were at to where you are now? Yeah, so I left my current school, my old school in 2019. I was just at a point where I was like, it had been 11 years. Um, I didn't want to be a principal. I really wanted to do more like diversity equity work and have a position to do that. But the way the district wanted to do it was to have one person over the entire 15,000 student district. And I was like, yo, I'm not going to do that. It's a setup. Yes, yeah, a lot. You know, and the guy who, the guy who had, was going to like kind of help hire it was actually my former principal. We had worked together. So he had told me like, David, I want you to go for this position. I pitched an alternative idea. I, I was like, you know, I think there should be one person in every high school that can like focus on their co feeder community. And it just wasn't financially feasible or that's not where they wanted to put their dollars is what I would say. And so I left, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing where this is going. I'm putting more energy in this than in the classroom. Another opportunity came my way and I, I went into the nonprofit world for a year. Um, and it was in the it was in the education realm, but it gave me a chance to see like the whole educational landscape of charter schools that I didn't know anything about. And, you know, I worked in like eight different schools and that wasn't really the best fit either for me. Um, and so then I, I left that with the idea that I was going to go and teach martial arts full time um, and do like equity training and consulting on the side. Um, and I was also we now have a nonprofit through our martial arts school, which is like leadership. And so I was like, okay, I'll get that going. Boom, COVID hits. And so then the martial arts, our, our dojo had to go virtual, you know, we're losing students. And I'm like, okay, I got two kids and a wife. So um, I was doing some consult, like some contractual work to pay the bills. And uh, a friend of mine who works for a really big uh, foundation up here called Kaufman, she reaches out to me and she says, you know, David, there's this charter school it's all girls. It's their second year in inception. And they really want like an enrichment PE type teacher. And she knew I had done girls self-defense seminars and um, I had done virtual PE and all this stuff. And she was like, you should go for it and just see what, what happens. And so I pitched to them the idea of an enrichment class that was based on martial arts um, at this all girls school and they went for it. And so um, I'm an enrichment teacher, but I teach martial arts to and it's just right now it's just fifth and sixth graders in the school it's all girls it's a, it's probably about 80 percent black um and, and then there's a large latinx population as well there's might like five white kids in the whole school um and so i don't think it's diverse in that aspect right like it's just flipped but um it's been super unique because i've been virtual the whole year i've never met the girls in real life um i've never met my principal in real life i've never taught from the building um and you know, with COVID and everything, it's been it's been a a highlight on the disparities and the inequities in education, right? So, like, I've got kids I've never seen them on camera, I've never heard their voice, they've never turned in an assignment. They come on Zoom, their names on the screen, and that's as far as it gets, you know. And 
you can imagine being a fifth or sixth grade kid and like some teachers coming on the screen and being like, yeah, we about to do some pushups and burpees and some kicks. And there's a few kids who like it. And there's a, there's a lot more who are like, yeah, I don't want to do this. And so it's been an interesting dynamic. Um, at this point, I, I do plan on, you know, returning next year with them and uh, hopefully in person and we'll see what that changes. Um, but I don't know. I've also kind of looked into some other realms too. Um, Cause teaching is exhausting as y'all know, like it's, whew, you know, and, and I, that point too, that like, it, it's even harder when you don't get that feedback from the kids, if their yeah. cameras are off, you know, when, when I facilitate staff meetings, um, I see my staff and they're like, I, I've met them in person, but if I am facilitating a meeting and I'm not getting that feedback where they're just quiet watching, it is extremely draining and you second guess yourself a lot. Yes. I don't know, Maurice, if you've had that experience, but, and that made me think, like, that's what our teachers are going through with students yeah. who all you see is a black box in their name. Yeah, and you can imagine trying to teach a physical, physically involved class where I'm like, all right, let's go. And they're like, nothing. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that's like, just looking at you on the screen, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, so it's been, a, it's been a unique journey. I really do value the school. It's a school that's, it's the first public, all girls public charter, charter school in Kansas City. Um, they're founded upon feminism and anti-racism. So like they're really open about infusing that. So I think it's super dope. Um, if I'm being honest, I'm trying to figure out like what my place is in the future there. But at this moment, I, I really do appreciate what they've done for me and, and the, the, the opportunity. That sounds uh, super interesting. And I, I, I think I, I'd love to um, learn some more about that. Um, you know, just looking at different ways that schools can, can serve our communities. Um, uh, particularly within the black and brown community and, and looking at, you know, perhaps what are different needs that exist there, right, um, than uh, that may be coming just from the public school in general. So I love that idea. Um, you know, David, I, I know uh, we, we've, we've talked um, through um, just the idea of, of um, hip hop and education. I want to turn back uh, for just a moment to, to, again, some of the work that you're doing around hip hop. Um, and uh, Lissette had asked you earlier about, you know, maybe what was kind of some of the response of parents. Um, what do you think, you know, as you, as, as you think about hip hop, what do you think are maybe some of the biggest misconceptions um, surrounding, surrounding hip hop and, and the music that really, like you said, I think it, it has become a, a culture in and of itself, right? What, what are some of those misconceptions? I think people don't realize how diverse hip hop is. You know, um, you know, it's definitely broader than what is seen on the public lens, you know, and it's the, the depth beneath is way bigger than what's above, right? And so, in a, and now in a, an accessible world where Spotify and iTunes and all these things, you can find the hip hop that you want to hear. You just got to work a little bit. You know, and you really don't have to work as hard as you used to. You know, when I was a kid and we didn't have streaming and such, I had to like go to Best Buy or wherever else. And, and especially in a city like Kansas City, like where I'm not on the coast and we get all of that. And I would have to look at album covers to try to figure out if they were like about what I was about. I look at song titles and that's how I stumbled across Little Brother and stumbled across The Roots and um, you know, most definitely Talib Kweli and Common, because I was like, oh, this album is called Like Water for Chocolate. That's definitely probably not about like 
violence and like misogynism, you know what I mean? And like a uh, black star, you know, you know, and, and on the back of it, it's talking about like, you know, the power of the black woman. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm down for. Like, this seems like what I'm about. And I could probably play this loud enough to where my parents wouldn't be like, what are you listening to? Um, now you have, I mean, it's just so immense how much is out there to the point where it can be exhausting and overwhelming because it's just so much music. Um, and so to, for people who maybe critique hip hop, I say, well, which hip hop are you listening to? Because there's a lot. Um, and there's a, most of it is, is a lot more um, diverse than we give it credit. And I want to say, like, don't look past the music that you've been listening to and assume that it's so clean and, and perfect, right? Like, you know, rock music has, <laughs> you have Ozzy Osbourne and then you have John Mayer. And, it's, and there's room for all of it, you know what I mean? And I think that we have to start recognizing that hip hop should be allowed the same, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it should be allowed the same room to have its, its varied personalities. You know, I, I heard um, one of my favorite rappers, Rhapsody, talk about it. They asked her like, well, as a conscious hip hop artist, and she said, no, no, no. Like she said, everybody's a conscious musician. You're just talking about the consciousness of whatever you see the world through. So if I'm Cardi B and I'm my consciousness is the fact that I used to be a stripper and live in this world. That's what my consciousness is, right? Whereas, you know, you know I, I look at Pasta News of, you know, De La Soul, his consciousness is gonna be much different because he's well-educated and had a different upbringing than someone else. And so we're all talking about whatever we're conscious of and hip hop is just as, you know, expanses all these other arts as well. So I, I, I challenge anyone who says they don't like hip hop to like come listen to the catalog of hip hop that I'm listening to. And I think I can turn you a little bit. I love that. That's, that's, that's so well said that each of us are conscious. We just are conscious of what we are conscious of, right? I mean, yeah. and, and, and so then we're, we're, we're speaking um, to that part of our story. Um, you know, I think, I think that's a very powerful thought. Um, so David, uh, we, we would be remiss if we had you on <laughs> and, and, and did not, um, ask you to spit a little something for us. Um, and, and, and this is the way that, that we normally try to work it. We, we always end our episodes with, with, um, with interviewees. We say, what's one thing that you would want the listener to walk away with? And, um, we would love if you, you know, maybe there's a verse you already got that you're thinking of right now. Maybe it's, you need to run and grab your notebook because it's something you just scribbled. Um, I'm ready. Just, 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 okay, perfect. Drop, drop, drop something on. Off the top. He is ready. Not like you, Maurice, that you got it right. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. All right. Pops told me closed mouths don't get fed and birds in the sky don't get bread and every good wife deserves cred. Turn lemons into yellow cake. Water in the Kool-Aid don't know flavors, just the color's name. Uh, watching VHS in second grade. Couldn't memorize our sewers, but new NBA. 
Dreams of money off of rookie cards, comics in the plastic covers, fingerprints with resultant scars. Grandma prayed on plastic covers, crucifixion scars. Niggas pray to Jesus every day selling dope and cars. So the dream of looking dope and cars. Same machine that have them buying lies that they should learn to cope with bars. Why I bring you broader scope than only hoes and cars. Medicine injected in the candy, Mary Poppins bars. Poppins any bars, youngest think they master fate. Claim they catching fish, but only masturbate. Said they wanting all the smoke, only vape. Cheese looking shredded Parmesan, so it's less than great. And news spitting rhymes from a different state. Follow yellow roads without a tin man and Jordan 8s. Yeah, that's on my middle of the map. Casey on my cap while all your favorite rappers capping. Realize the trap is meant to keep your niggas trapped in. Gentrify your block but get upset to see your black skin. Yeah, and we still killing off our black kin. Let them rape us for our culture for some track spins. Just to get a bigger check, you doing back bends. Uh, that's how it, it happens. News. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta snap in the mic. Gotta snap in the mic here. All right, well, on that note, we are Black, Brown, and Bilingue. I am one of your hosts, Lisette Jacobson. And I'm Maurice McDavid. Muchas gracias for tuning in. Adios. Mm -hmm.